0: Clustered conversations. What clustered conversations? By Weka.
1: It does not. All right. So, all
0: right, three. Hi, and welcome to Cluster Conversations. I'm Bob. And I'm Josh. And today we're joined by Andy Lynn from Mark Three Systems. They're one of our national partners, or North America partners, helping us integrate Weka into systems at, at our customers. Absolutely. So, uh, hello, Andy. Hello, and welcome. Hey, guys, thanks for having me on. Appreciate Thank
1: it. You. Yeah, thanks for coming. Thanks for being here. It's great having you.
0: So, I, I know I worked with you a little bit on UT, University of Texas, uh, I believe, and we did a little bit of installation and get stuff set up and running. While why Weka? I mean, why did you guys decide to partner with us? I mean, what is your specialty as a company?
2: Yeah, so um, we work with clients around building their uh, AI centers of excellence. So we've mm-hmm. actually been around for a little while. Obviously, we have a lot of you know traditional type of, of customers, but we've developed a really unique niche specifically around you know helping clients get up and going with their AI COE and their modern HPC stacks. Um, so, spend a little bit of time kind of talking about kind of where we're doing? Okay, yeah. yeah so, uh, we were founded in the nineties. Um, HBC partner day one. Um, Enterprise data center mm-hmm. immediately after. Uh, in 2015, we just saw the software sector changing driven by open source. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we've obviously always had a strong engineering team, but um, what we actually decided to do was spin up an innovation arm internally. You know, okay. obviously with open source, there are ten mm-hmm. thousand ways to build the same thing. So, even if you mm-hmm. offer something in that stack, right? Um, you have to be able to work with organizations around what their builders are doing, right? right? Yeah. E- even if it's software or platform. So um, we actually spun up an innovation unit, DevCTO CTO, just startups at the time, nothing to do with IT whatsoever. And what we did over the last you know five, six, seven years is we've added, you know, developers, uh, data science talent, DevOps as well, and continue to grow out our SEs in sort of I call a modern way. So when um, we work with clients around this, and the mm-hmm. ASCOE is really just defined as you know, a single compute resource managed by one team at one point, but that can serve you know, one, five, a 100, 1,000 data scientists, wow. researchers, developers that are, all have separate IDs, frameworks, and mm-hmm. what they're doing. Um, so it's, that's part of sort of our model on how we actually engage. Um, we do a lot of other unique things. Um, specifically around AI ML, it just it was coincidence that we did this around the time of uh, TensorFlow V1. Mm-hmm. So um, we, one of our things that we, we do, we work with clients around, uh, we develop our expertise really around the idea building Right. Obviously, we can roll roll out stacks, and obviously, Weka is a key piece of that from the data layer perspective. Because you obviously you have to have great performance to, to feed these frameworks and, and build these models. But there are obviously a lot of other things, you know, obviously technology wise, but also around you know culture, processes, education that are really really critical.
0: Nice. We've seen a lot of uh, GPUs going in these days of customers, and and the, we don't believe they're getting utilized as best as they could. Right. You see a lot of them sitting around stagnant, waiting for data loads, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. they don't have the most uh, you know, most perfect, polished workflow. Yeah, the pipeline isn't exactly uh, filled out, so I'm I'm sure you guys are doing something with the workflow engines and the, the designs and.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there could be a number of of reasons why that is, right? I think you know, obviously Weka does help solve a problem as far as like feeding them, but mm. what we found is also there are a lot of other reasons. One is around education, um, as far as like educating researchers. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. that's a big piece we're focused on, you nice. know, and we developed a a series um, called the AI Education Series. It's a bunch of uh, really practical modules, Jupyter Notebooks, things like that, that communities of researchers can take home with them. Stuff like predicting tumor, um, sorry, classifying tumors, um, anomaly detection, you know, predicting pricing, supply chain, um, that they can take home with them. So that's, that's a big piece of it. And the other one is around the ML mm-hmm. um, you side. Know, we, we work with a lot of clients around specifically that space. So we see, a lot of times it has to do with more that than actually the technology itself. But this space is really fascinating because you know, obviously you got the tech side, which isn't trivial at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but over half of it, in my opinion, is more around like, you know, organization, it's around culture, it's around, you know, how do you work with the community of builders who can all essentially what I call vote with their feet on where they build, right? Mm-hmm. Just because you spin up a platform doesn't mean they have to. Use so how do you make sure they have the, an amazing experience that's equivalent to how they build locally, mm. right? And and that's where you know, our team of data scientists, our developers come into play, right? And Obviously we can spin, spin up the platform and roll it, but mm-hmm. you know, how do you make sure that you know, you're accelerating the building of these models, you know, accelerating fundamentally the research, and then make sure that that organization you know, builds out their brand around this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, how do you build industry partnerships, uh, public privates, you know, if they're in the public space, from the industry perspective, how do you make sure that they become a leader in the space? Um, and that obviously transcends technology. It transcends um, even education, right? So, um, like like I said, there are just a lot of a lot of pieces to that puzzle.
1: Yeah, it's kind of bringing you back to that comment about making it a good experience. That's especially true in the education and research space, where you have you know, a bunch of disparate teams all trying to work together on maybe a shared system but you have maybe a bigger team or a very opinionated team where they're more than happy to say well you know this thing that you gave me I tried it I mm-hmm. don't like it I'm right. just going to move to this other one I'm going to shadow IT myself into a corner and you know eventually create a future problem for myself but right now yeah. I feel like it's better so giving them that that better experience and having that you know that that better opportunity to actually like use something that's more performant more more shared more usable and add a, a you know a better sort of cost advantage to the organization. Yeah. Uh, that's a big advantage.
0: I was talking to a university director this morning, actually, in one of those meeting rooms we have there here at, at Supercompute, about um, they want to be a center of excellence for storage. And one of the problems they have is they have fantastic researchers who mm-hmm. are biologists and physicists and chemists, but they're not computer guys. Yeah. So they don't, they, it's getting them something that's easy for them to consume, something mm-hmm. that's easy for them to understand, mm-hmm. so they don't have to think or, or become computer scientists to be able to utilize the tools that they have at their exactly. disposal. Yeah. And
1: giving them sort of the, like you mentioned the sort of pre-made Jupyter notebooks and the, the like a workflow that just works. And all they have yeah. to do is plug in their data, do a little couple tweaks for their workflow and have it work. That that's gotta be a, a, an amazing, amazing opportunity.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you got to start with the person building the model, mm-hmm. right? And um, I'm constantly amazed in this space because I mean, we have the honor of working with some of the smartest people doing some of the most amazing research in some of these areas that you mentioned, you know, bioinformatics, you know, weather forecasting, you know, all kinds of different amazing areas of science that I'm, I'm like, why am I talking to this person? You know, <laughs>
0: um,
2: you know, you laugh, but it's, it's true. Um, yeah. But, you know, we found that like, even in communities where you have the most advanced scientists, right, about 70% of folks are starting out as far as applying ML and DL techniques to their, to their data. Um, you know, when you think about AI, a lot of people think about, you know, robots and all these things, but it's actually super boring, like if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like, how do I get better predictions from data that I've had for a long time using mm-hmm. new techniques? So when you say it like that, you're like, oh, that's not that interesting. But it, it's 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 what blocking and tackling is all about. And at the end of the day, that's what you're trying to You're trying to get an incremental improvement. Um, you're trying to get a new discovery using, mm-hmm. you know, amounts of data that you've had or, or you know, build a magical experience if you're, from an industry perspective when you're trying to, Um, Take your business model and and meet your consumers and meet your B2B users, you know, where they are from their digital habits. So if you think about it from that builder's perspective, you know, and obviously, in our opinion, the only way you can do that is you have to have your own Mm -hmm. who built who built every day. Right. And then, you know, we have a, a unique team where we have our data scientists work jointly with our DevOps team, our devs. Um, we're starting to do a little bit of early work around you know, digital twins and NVIDIA Omniverse, so we're 3D artists as well. Mm-hmm. And then you parlay that down to all the way down to the SC level. So our team knows exactly where this is going, mm-hmm. um, and this is what the organizations we work with actually we found they want as well, but they often have uh, a similar disconnect. So in a certain sense, we're sort of the glue in a lot of cases, right? We start with the community of scientists, get them what they need, right? Or, mm-hmm. or if you're talking about R&D, if you're talking in industry, right? Uh, and then when it when it's com- comes time for us to roll what the pilot for the center of excellence platform looks like, our data scientists work directly with our MLOps folks, right, who can roll Kubernetes and do all the things, apply whatever MLOps platform they want on top, mm-hmm. right? And then our engineer can also help from the data center perspective. So we can do blocking and tackling, right? Obviously, uh, NVIDIA is um, a super tight partner of ours, um, or elite uh, rising star part of the year last year. Nice. Um, so that's obviously a critical piece of the puzzle as well and mm-hmm. the NVIDIA ecosystem.
0: So. Well, so it's kind of nice. We're at an inflection point right now in technology where we see like we've had this piles and piles of data that we've been storing for, for decades oh, yeah. and haven't been able to process at that, that level. Now we've got these compute layer that can. So now how do we get that data into models that are able to predict something going forward? Like you were talking about detection of tumors. We got weather modeling. We got ge- ge- geological and seismic modeling, mm-hmm. oil, and gas exploration. They have tons of tons of data, yeah. but before we can only put so much into use, and now we can do like you know orders of magnitude more in the same amount of time.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I think in every industry, right, you've you've accumulated data just you know over the course of you know years or even decades, right. right? Mm-hmm. And um, there's just an amazing opportunity to really um, experiment with some of these frameworks and apply it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I love this space because anyone can get started. Um, you know, everything is fundamentally open source. It's one of the-
0: uh, I mean, some of the data sets are open source. I mean, there's some- It's
1: some, true, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah. It's, it's an interesting time because if if someone's willing to put in the time to find those models and build it, they can discover something really interesting. There's nuggets of truth in all these pieces of data that are sitting out there.
2: Yeah, I think the grassroots aspect of this is one of the most powerful forces because if you, as an organization, can just empower your people to build, like, you know, it's, all, it's a numbers game, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about like, bringing a model into useful production, right? If you only have 10 people that are building models, your, your odds are pretty low that you'll have something that matters. But if you enable a thousand people and then that funnels into maybe a hundred decent models and then maybe you, that'll mean you have 10 in production. So mm-hmm. that, that's what I mean. Like, it's not just the technology aspect. It's also like, how do I unlock this from a cultural perspective? And, and, and how do I set up a center of excellence, not only in terms of technology, but also Almost like a hub internally mm-hmm. um, to, to consult with business groups that's that's I think really the key that you know we've seen successful organizations think about that side even before the technology. obviously later if you have critical mass, that's a great problem to have because it means that people have models that truly fundamentally matter yeah and then that's where like I said you know obviously you have to have somebody at that point whether it be your team internally or somebody externally to help roll that and then make sure that people have a terrific experience I think. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the mentalities I think are key is, you know, have your builders not only w- work with builders that organizations to make sure they get, they get great education and really practical stuff, but then they almost become like, in, in great, you know, in scenarios that work well, they almost become like product managers. So it's like you've built this almost amazing AI platform. It's almost like your own SaaS product internally. Mm-hmm. Right? How do you make sure yeah. people get onboarded? How do you have great tutorials, knowledge mm-hmm. bases? You know, and obviously that's not something that you know is mm-hmm. talked about you know very much
1: in the industry. But that's absolutely what we're seeing.
2: You know, yeah. When when organizations do it right.
1: So yeah. As even from my, kind of my perspective, I'm the, I'm the I'm definitely the layman when it comes to kind of like working actually with AI data sets and AI workflows. Like even getting Jupyter notebooks up and running. Like maybe I've done a couple of tutorials, <laughs> or you know, back in a previous life, I had we had a, a guy with our research org who did a really great job doing like a, a training to kind of help people understand this is what we do and this is stuff we play with. Um, and like you know ran through some jupyter notebook stuff it was it was a challenge for me to to like actually understand it and and having that sort of you know, basic framework already there and being able to kind of like you know you tweak a couple of things here and there hit play and watch it go and like an output occurs it's really cool it's fun to play with right but getting getting to that point having something that just inherently or out of the box works to at least a basic ex- extent to get someone to understand and to maybe have a little nugget of insight or inspiration to, you know, change something else? Or, well, what if I looked at it in a slightly different way? Or what if I also brought in this aspect of the data set to, you know, change what I'm looking at or how I'm looking at it to give me a slightly different result?
0: Well, it's like computing has been there forever, right? We've had mm-hmm. databases, we've had data sets, we've everything else. But it's this is like the data warehouse in enterprise kind of taken to the university side where they have all this data to be able to process mm-hmm. it. I think enterprise kind of started this whole process of, of, of turning through millions of tiny pieces of data. Yeah. And now the university has picked up on it and they're turning through millions of large pieces of data. Yeah. Um, so it's it's fun to watch, but it's it's all interconnected, but it's, you know, it's it's different because I, I spent fourteen years or many, many years on my in enterprise and coming over here learning PyTorch and and ResNet fifty <laughs> and TensorFlow, it's yeah. a it's a whole new language and mm-hmm. it's uh but it's similar in the way that everything's being utilized. It's just different in that how the end result ends up being used for.
2: Yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, the great thing is you can do anything you want and everything's out there, right? right. But uh, that's also the downside, right? right. You can do <laughs> anything you want. So, <laughs> I, you know, I mean, there are 10,000 different ways to do the same thing mm-hmm. and uh, to get the same results. And if you look at someone's ML Ops pipeline, they've built a tech stack uh, to do the exact same thing. to be fundamentally different across two companies. And I think. The one thing that you have to think about is that, you know, things change literally every every day, every week in the space. And yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, the only way in, from what we've seen that you can stay in stream is you have to build every day. Like, you know, you can't mm-hmm. um, yeah, good or bad, right? You can't really go to training and and do it. I mean, you can learn some of the fundamentals, yeah, but then it really is about, you know, seeing the same patterns happen over and over again in certain communities mm-hmm. and then being able to adapt. You know, like if you look at a little bit lower in the stack, right? Obviously, we're talking about Jupyter and our Studio and things like that from the data science perspective. But if you look at, for instance, like, you know, NVIDIA-style Kubernetes, right, GPU-scheduling Kubernetes, which is the underlying platform to run really anything that's modern from an MLOps perspective, um, you know, we've been working with it since it was, you know, V1 in 2018, you know, it changes so much all the time. Mm-hmm. And good or bad, there's always some things that are slightly broken with it. Um, that's just... <laughs> You it's know, an open source project, you, right? You yeah. you you kind of accept that. It's gotten a lot better for mm-hmm. sure, but you you just have to be aware of like these things that happen, and then what you start seeing is the same things start happening over and over again. Yeah. And that's when your experience comes in, as far as like you know how to be able to roll it and what I call like sort of copilot is just make sure that you know if something breaks here, you can go in and fix right. it, right? And and working with you know whoever has the layer on top of it, mm-hmm. right? Whether that be you know, an ISV style partner in the space, whether the organization builds a layer themselves. Um, we, we had actually years ago had built a full out MLOps platform back in 18. So we have a mm. really innate understanding of like, you know, what you have to do to make that work. So we parlay that across to what other organization doing at the execution level when they're at that stage, you know, what mm-hmm. I consider like a, like a stage two or three on you've got multiple users, maybe even 10, 20, 30 users that are operating in that paradigm. Um, so there's there's a lot involved in the journey for sure.
0: As, I mean, as much as the is changing frequently, the hardware's been going kind of nuts in the last five years as well. I mean, yes. we just went from Gen 3 to Gen 4, and then Gen five. is right around the corner. Right around, and
1: Gen 6 is even already, yeah. I think, standardized and being planned for. Well,
0: when I got here, DGX2 was the big fast box, right? Oh. And then all <laughs> yeah. of a sudden the A100 came out. Now, what's a new one called? The H100. H, H100, yeah. 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 It's, it, it just keeps jumping, and uh, each one's faster, bigger, and mm-hmm. then 100, 200, 400, gigabit ethernet it's <laughs> it's interesting to see the changes i mean we were at 10 gig i felt like for a decade it felt like oh yeah
1: yeah 10 gig was right. the standard for so long yeah before before even like 40 gig even yeah. started vaguely started to kind of come out like 40 but there was already 25 ER 100 gig like yeah. InfiniBand. yeah
0: it's wild fiber channels going to disappear fiber channel still a thing
1: <laughs> i've heard about it all the time isn't it still stuck at 32 gig i mean <laughs>
0: But yeah, it's it's fun to watch because I mean now we have this this pipeline, right? So not only do we have the technology pipeline on the software side, not only do mm-hmm. we have the, the giant data sets, but now we actually have the, the ability to move it through the pipeline to the CPU, to the memory, to the GPU, and get it back out to an answer, right? And then get yeah. it back onto disk. Yeah. Um it's you know, it's it, this is the most fun I've had in compute in a long time. Right.
1: I mean, well when when the the network itself is essentially just as fast as the internal like plus, circuitry yeah. of the board itself, like going from a North over PCIe and going out a network port at even hundred gig speeds is reasonably close to what the internal communication speeds are between components. Yeah. It, it we are like legitimately getting to the point where having like a supercomputer or having, a, you know, an HPC space, even, you know, just a single rack full or just a handful of, of systems where everything is essentially the same system. Yeah. Cause it, it can communicate so quickly and that's going to be even more true with 400 gig when it comes out, NDR, yep. uh, or the you know, 400 gig Ethernet when, when it suddenly hit, when it hits, uh, it's going to be even more interesting. What kind of like dispersed and, and parallelized and like yeah. networking that will be the compute and everything that we're doing and that everyone's doing? It's it's going to be fascinating to see how much it even accelerates from here.
0: Yeah, in in, uh, in what was it 60, 70 years? We've gone from one giant mainframe to <laughs> Basically, one giant mainframe made of multiple pieces, right? We keep breaking it up into little pieces yeah. and, and Operating separating it.
1: vacuum tubes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: But uh, then file systems just keep getting faster and more interesting, and, and the data yeah. sets keep getting bigger. I mean, yeah. God, no one's going to need any more than 16 megs. How could you ever need to go above that? <laughs>
1: yeah. 64K of memory? Who could ever fill that? <laughs> Here we are, 12 uh, terabyte of memory in a single box. From, from something we just walked by earlier today, seven hundred right, watts of energy to a single <laughs> GPU. Right? Oh my gosh! There's so, eight of them in the box, and yeah. plus there's the memory, and plus there's the CPUs. So, so those, that, those H100s are interesting.
0: That's gonna be the next trick is figuring how to be power, power yeah, be power efficient with these uh, giant power sucking machines. Because I mean, there's a lot of going on there. But well, that,
1: yeah, when a single box is pulling twelve kilowatt, it's yeah, that, and
0: that's that's you know you have laughed,
2: but. The density is amazing, right? Yeah. Oh, we can do, and and it's required because of the amount of data and the size of these models. Um, but yeah, you have to think about you know you know power and cooling. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. I think it's almost like a throwback in some way because you kind of t- have taken it for granted
0: over the last. Oh, we could do pizza boxes all day long for a right, few years. right. You, you think you think
2: that, and then you know, but that yeah, and then it, it's we really have to think about it. You know, I've had we've had organizations we work with; they've had to build new data centers specifically mm. for this type of thing. You mm-hmm. have. In the video ecosystem, right? You have partners that are ju- basically just have authorized data centers that can yeah. um, support DGXs. So, um, and and I've seen it unfortunately, um, you know, go, go sideways where, where mm. folks haven't um, thought about this, uh, and um, it can be a, a big time inhibitor to you know building what an AI center of excellence or AI supercomputer looks like. Like you just you just really have to think about it. Um, but then when you do it well, you know, it, it can go extremely well. So mm-hmm. in a certain sense, like, you know, a few years ago, I had no idea, like, you know, we'd be so deep into the power <laughs> and cooling side. But no, I, you but know. the basic and, infrastructure. Well, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we have some clients that, you know, have done obviously large pods, even super pod style, um, you know, setups. And, and mm-hmm. we spend, we probably have spent, you know, 60 to 70 percent of our time just doing physical planning. It, during during the data center phase or the, oh, yeah. the infrastructure phase of it, yeah. you know, obviously we've got data science and the DevOps side, but, you know, that's that's not something you cannot take for granted. Mm-hmm. And then also the project management side, you know, I think um, it's one thing if you're going to set up a few servers and mm-hmm. storage, but, you know, you think about the hundreds of cables involved. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, my you God. know, o- arriving at all different times, mm-hmm. you know, you've got UPS. It, it's it's just something you you can't really minimize and it's something that you know for us fortunately you know we've had uh, that expertise over the course of the last 25 years so yeah that's i, yeah, I love the space cuz cool. it's like it, it's sort of like past present and future mm-hmm. like the expertise that you've got from the past obviously the present and then obviously uh the aspects of the open source driven democratization side right on the on you know just you know sort of being code native and how you think about things mm-hmm. um, and data native um it's it's sort of the it's like basically the amalgamation of all those skill sets, yeah. so it's
0: it's yeah. a it's a fun time. Like it, you mentioned yeah. earlier, six years ago, I saw the craziest thing. We went to I did a data center tour, and they had each rack had its own AC unit, and uh, it was also water cooled in certain places, and so they could wow. keep the GPUs at a certain temperature to keep it going at full speed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's overkill. Now I'm like, hey, maybe that's a <laughs> that it's should like, be well, standard what, everywhere. What about
1: phase chains? How, we should just submerge everything. And
0: <laughs> well, the other crazy thing they had they had a a mining cart, which was a you can take an entire Data center in a box. It had a generator on the back of it, and roll it down and pop it into a mine, and be able to do networking off of this thing. <laughs> it was the craziest I, thing I've ever seen.
1: Wild, yeah. No, but having um, having the full like literally the full stack of not just oh we have the applications, we understand how things yeah. operate, we understand how people you know, use the system, but going below of well, but how does the system actually function? What does it need to be useful? Because like to your point of yeah, you know, having having the understanding and being able to do all that you know basic. Legitimately basic, like, groundwork of just getting the infrastructure, like, the literal infrastructure, the nuts and bolts, the cables, the power, right, and not making the mistake or having the accident of, oh, well, you know, we, we built out the data center and we, we thought we had enough power, but, you know, all these systems came in and we could only run one per rack
0: and okay. we, we ran out of
1: space because we only had 10 racks, but we bought 20 systems. Like, uh, now other, what?
0: Or the other half of it, you brought a lot of stuff in, and you got all power and cooling, everything set up, but your uh-huh. users have no way of accessing it or understanding how to use it. So yeah. the educational part, yeah. that's why having specialized partners, they can go out there and Exactly, yeah. having
1: legitimately the full stack of yep. from nuts and bolts to the higher level architecture and conceptual, that's, that's hard to find. And yeah. hard to get right, right, even more hard to get right. Yeah,
2: and it's not just like, oh, I have a person that does this and a person that does this, right? It's the fact they work together mm-hmm. And you can work from the model or even, you know, your program that runs hackathons all the way down yes. to like the, the power cooling, right. Mm-hmm. Because you understand how each piece relates to each other is, is super critical to getting it right. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like when you look at technology cycles out there, right. Um, when you're, and, and AI is, is definitely ascending, obviously, I think mm-hmm. we're seeing this amazing ascent, but we're still mm-hmm. early, you know, Oh yeah, when you're early in a cycle, right. Um, the organizations that do it right, and the, and the and the you know the companies that partner with these companies are the ones that can go truly end to end. You yeah. know, over time, what will happen is more organizations will adopt this over the next two, three, four, five years, and because you have an understanding, and everyone's doing it. At that point, let's say five years from now, mm-hmm. right? There will be much more of a plug and play aspect of companies on where they plug into the stack, and customers and and users will understand how to plug things in. but We're not there yet. No. So I think a mistake that happens often is that, you know, um, we see some organizations try to adopt that mentality, you know, maybe that they're going to do in five years, but now, and I think um, that's where I think the unique aspect of our experience um, comes into play because we can help them truly end to end. And, and it's like I mentioned, you know, uh, build every day, um, there's no shortcuts uh, Mm -hmm. right now. Uh, And I think, um, you know, you you can always just, you know, we always show like a lot of the models we build and things like that. Not necessarily like, Hey, you should use this model, but there's an innate understanding. If you're able to do that, Mm -hmm. the knowledge that you have to be able to help them with that stack now, but not only that, but like understand if the community pivots left in a month, you've seen that happen a year ago in a similar way and you can fix that problem. Right. Right. So like, There's there's a lot of that aspect involved that's like hard to hard to describe unless you know you're sort of in the middle of
0: this. I don't know, it's it reminds me of the days of, of old Oracle queries, right? If you did them right, they were fantastic. If you did them wrong, then you're just spinning CPU and doing <laughs> table <laughs> table scans all day long, right? And right. if the guy knows actually how to look at it and understand the data model, the same thing, right? Same concept, mm-hmm. it, but understand that query. Uh, language and be able to help make it more efficient and streamlined. You can get the same job done in half the time.
1: I've actually got an interesting anecdote on that, like specifically to that as well. I had, had a buddy worked at a, at a startup a while ago, and they had, it was a, he, he actually, he built a video streaming service that beat YouTube to market. So he was actually the first internet video streaming service, and he built it himself. Like, he was the only guy doing it, you know, very small startup sort of thing. Um, but as they were running and working, they had you know obviously a bunch of uh, databases that were up and running and a bunch of queries that were running, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, he knew how to do all that like SQL querying and he had built all these lookups and et cetera, but there was one lookup that was just taking forever and he couldn't figure out what it was. And because he was so close to it, he couldn't really have that kind of open brain aspect of, well, what if, right? So like we were talking about it one day and we were just like hanging out in the office cause we all just happened to be in the city for whatever reason. And he brings it up and I'm like, well, you know, me and my, another friend of ours, we were like, well, let's take a look at it and see what's kind of going on. And I, I don't know SQL queries, I'm not a, I'm not a database admin mm-hmm. sort of thing, um, but I can Google search like a madman. <laughs> so I, I'm like, you know, he describes a problem and what the thing looks like. And so I just kind of start poking around and looking around and I find, you know, a concept of doing a reverse order search. And like, well, what if you just tried this? And it, it brought the, the processing time down like an order of magnitude. Yeah. So not just twice as fast, but like hugely, incredibly faster. And like once once we tried that, and he's like, oh my, I didn't even think that we could do that. Right. It was, it was amazing.
0: And that's why you need people to just come from the outside, kind of look yeah. at it. Because sometimes your baby is your baby. And yep. you, you can never look at it and see a mistake or exactly. something wrong.
1: I got free tequila for that. It that's, that's excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: that, you know, we, we get that great story here from 14 days down to four hours, right? We have oh, one yeah. of our customers that when they switched over to Weka, because part of their pipeline was moving data Around like three on different the, storage systems. Yeah, depending on what the pipeline required at that point, mm-hmm. right? So, whether it was the training, whether it was the actual uh, run, whether it was whatever they were doing, right, mm-hmm. or the, their archive, it was taking 14 days to get from the beginning to the end of this entire
1: product. Yeah, for just one, a single epoch. One epoch,
0: epoch yeah. yeah. And so, that mm-hmm. same epoch oh, running on Wacket now runs at four hours. So, it was a huge order of magnitude change for them. And th- that's the kind of things you got to think about is where is my bottleneck? Is my bottleneck the data? Is the bottleneck the query? Is the bottleneck just my workflow, right? And all those things need to be looked at independently. Yeah.
2: Totally agree. Yeah. It could truly be anywhere, right? It's like I say, it's, it's a half, half tech, half organization workflow. And then, you know, obviously if you're able to help somebody, right, it's, um, you know, then you create other problems for yourself, but they're, but they're
0: good problems, right? You keep moving the bottleneck. That's it. Yeah, that's all that's an entire industry is moving the bottleneck from one place to another, exactly. What's <laughs> What's the sound? next one? Yep, right. and that, that's a fun part about it is that figuring is out a so bottleneck,
1: right. right? Exactly, cool. I enjoy that at least. Yes, yeah,
0: all right, cool. So, I mean, you've got lots of choices. I mean, why, why did you guys kind of gravitate towards Weka, or what do you guys decide to partner with Weka?
2: Yeah, I think, um, obviously, the the modern data platform aspect is important. Um, you know, uh, obviously, you need great performance. Uh, you know, to drive your pipelines. Um, mm-hmm. It's quite obvious. But I think there's also another aspect of this that's important, right? Obviously, you know, you have some folks that are sort of on, a, on an HPC stack in this space, um, you know, whether that be Slurm or mm-hmm. LSF, you know, driven by, driven by Bright. But, um, you know, obviously more and more net new stacks are driven by Kubernetes, right? right. That's really yeah. the modern stack. So in, in this space, you have to have... You know, obviously a strong driver, you know, to be able to integrate with that stack. And also you have to have the ability to, um, you know, iterate quickly as well to to make sure that it's supportable and that it works well. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of it is obviously I think I think what has the right mentality just from a organization uh, perspective. It's kind of hard to quantify because in in some ways you have to kind of predict the future in the space, (laughs) Um, you know, and and that's not that's kind of odd that you think of it that way. Um, But more so than ever. Right. You have to think about like, can the organization pivot as the mm-hmm. community, Kubernetes mm-hmm. community evolves? Right, the MLops community evolves. Um, you know, how well does that does that integration work? Um, you know, and, and if you're able to do that, right? I, I think obviously, you know, WEC has pretty good DNA in the space mm. uh, relative to that. Um, so yeah, it's it'll be interesting to see what happens going forward. And yeah, yeah it's uh, pretty 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 cool to be part of this space for sure. Cool, cool.
1: awesome.
0: Well, thank you, Andy. Absolutely. Appreciate yeah, your time. Thanks for being here. And uh, we get, to get back to the show floor over at Supercompute 2020 this year. That's a, uh, it's.
1: 2020.
0: 2022. Sorry, feels, feels, feels like Feels like 2020. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never changes. <laughs> time warp. Uh, time warp. It, and it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. coming come from Enterprise, mm-hmm. all these trade shows in the old days. It's like, there's some of the same names, but there's a whole bunch of different names here that I've never seen before. Right? Yeah. It's, uh you know, there's, there's a lot of these major players mm-hmm. that, if you're if you're just an enterprise you've never seen
1: before. Yeah. Well, it's really fun is watching the uh, like as to your point there with like the new players and so the names change, but not just the names, but the size of the booth that they have. Because <laughs> right, size of the booth is usually an indicative of of kind of your influence in the space or kind of what you're doing in the space. So you see, like a, a company maybe a couple of years ago had a very large booth, and then that booth maybe shrunk in size a little bit or conversely somebody else where the booth started very small and well now it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger or you know your your normal large players where the the booth is always just this monolithic like placement right in the middle this is the beacon of of whomever Mm -hmm. uh that's fun to watch too and how how the industry changes and if you have that kind of historical insight to what's going on you know maybe it influences where you go and who you talk to and you've
0: seen the cloud players kind of playing more and more of a major role than they needed in the last oh, yeah. few years. Oh yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, I think it this space is so interesting because it's yeah, it's a ba- basically a series of ecosystems um that rise and fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously this one's on the ascent. So in every time you transition from one ecosystem to another, and they overlap, right? It's not like you go from mm-hmm. one to another, but a lot of the a lot of the key players um they fulfill different roles in different sizes and I don't want to say importance, but you know, like like what kind influence. of role they influence, yeah, And yeah, in that in that stack from era to era. So I think a lot of it like you see is visually almost like shown right on, yeah. <laughs> on the yeah. show floor yeah. in some ways. Yeah, yeah. But um for sure I think that's and that's one of the fun things about you know this space is that you know everything's still open and you know open to be defined. So cool.
0: Good. Sweet. All right well thank you Andy I appreciate your time. You. Yeah, absolutely so, so for a cluster conversations. I'm Bob and I'm Josh.